How are you guys doing this morning? Good? All right, nice. That's good. So uh, my name's John. Uh, like Josiah said, I am not a teacher. I'm not a pastor or anything like that. I'm just a regular dude. In the day, I, uh, my, my job is I do real estate development. So I only say that just because we're just regular people. That's, that's, that's the whole point of the church is it's a bunch of ordinary, random people that God pulls together by his spirit and we're just pursuing after Jesus. So, um, you know, I think sometimes church can get really like focused on, okay, well, if you really love Jesus, then you got to go into ministry. You got to do this. You got to do that. And that's all amazing stuff. But we're all ministers and, and it's where we are and, you know, in, in your workplace. And, you know, you don't come as a spectator to this place. We're supposed to all be one giant body that's moving together and Jesus is the head and we're moving forward and all this kind of stuff. So just want to encourage you with that. Um, and, and we're going to look at a little bit of that as we go into this text. I got to say, this text is the most random, got to be one of the most random stories in the Bible for sure. It's just, why is this here? What's happening? So um, let's... Uh, let uh, uh, let's let's open with a word of prayer first, and then we'll jump into, you know, kind of looking at last week and then look into what we're going to talk about today. So, Lord Jesus, just want to thank you so much. Truly, Lord, want to thank you for your presence that is here among us, regardless of how we feel. We acknowledge you. You are the King of kings the Lord of lords, the God above all gods, the name above all names. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our pain. You are worthy of our not understanding situations and still pursuing you. You're the creator. And we love you, Lord. We love you. You have your way in us. Thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for just every single person that's here, everybody who's listening. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you speak. We're here for you, Lord. We are here to hear from you. We're here to be encouraged to seek after you. We're here for you, Lord. You have your way. You open up this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so if you don't, I think they passed out Bibles. Let's go ahead. We're going to open up to First uh, Samuel chapter 6. Um, and, I, you know, I, I wasn't here last week, but I did listen to Nate's, uh, Nate's sermon, which was awesome. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. And, and I wanted to just kind of highlight something that he brought up. Because last week and this week is kind of the same story, you know. So if you, if you weren't there last week, where we're at is, is kind of just to recap a little bit, uh, you know, where we're at in Samuel is obviously... Let's start at the beginning. You have Genesis, and you go through, and then the Israelites are in Egypt, and then they're wandering around, and then all of a sudden, finally, they get to the promised land 40 years later, and then you have all these random judges after Joshua dies. You know, you have, like, I don't remember their names, but Gideon's one of them, and Samson's one of them, and all these different guys that kind of play these different roles and really random stories and strange. It's a really dark time for the, you know, the Israelites. They're kind of all doing their own thing. And then we get to, you know, the book of Samuel, and then you have Ruth. And then right after Ruth comes Samuel, and it starts off with, obviously, Eli, who's the high priest. And basically find out that Eli's sons are just absolutely despicable, and they're horrible human beings. And then there's Eli, who's this kind of big, chubby priest guy. And, 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 and he's, you know, uh, he's actually a really, seems to be a very, like, righteous, holy guy. But um, the problem is, is that he doesn't 
you know, kind of, he doesn't call out his sons, you know, he just kind of lets it go, and his sons are sleeping with people, and getting them to pay money, you know, get, getting more meat off of people, just stealing from people, it's just horrible, and then, um, so basically, God sort of sets up what's happening right now by this man of God who comes to Eli and just lays out this horrible, you know, prophecy that he basically says, listen, I'm going to do something that is going to make your ears tingle. Like, trust me, you're, you, nobody's going to have ever heard of something this bad in Israel. Like, uh, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your sons. I'm going to kill your generations after you. Like, nobody after you is going to be a priest. I'm going to set up a new priest in your place. And there's this horrible thing. And, and um, so the man of God tells that to say, and then there's this young boy, Samuel, uh, who's born to Hannah, who couldn't have kids, and then she has kids. Anyway, so we're just going through a lot. This is catching you guys all up. And then, and then Samuel's born, and then, you know, he, he, God speaks to him at a really young age, and, and he thinks it's Eli in the middle of the night. So he goes to Eli, and Eli's like, you know, finally gets it. He's like, no, that's God. So then Samuel goes, and he says, okay, Lord, speak. And then the Lord says to Samuel, like, hey, listen, I'm going to judge Eli. And then Eli's like, hey, what did he tell you? And he's like, Samuel's like, oh, I don't want to tell you. He's like, no, just tell me or it's going to happen to you. So Samuel's like, okay, I'll tell you. So then Samuel tells him, and then it's, you know, so more judgments uh, prophesied of. So we pick up the story where, you know, basically Eli uh, and his sons are, there's this war. There's the Philistines. Actually, can you bring up the uh, map of, uh, you know, just where, where we're at? This, this kind of helped me to kind of understand where we're at. Okay, so, <clears throat> so you have, this is Israel. This is the Dead Sea. Here's Jerusalem. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. And just to get some geographic idea of where we're at right now is most of the story is going to take place here sort of west of Jerusalem in Beth Shemesh, Kiriath, Jerum, Aphek, Ekron, all of this area. And the Philistines are on the coast. So anyway, all right, now that we have a little bit of a where we're at, you guys have 5,000 years worth of history under your belt right now. Let's jump into the uh, passage, which... Uh, I guess picks up the Israelites went to battle with the Philistines and they thought that, you know, it, you know, first off they were getting, they had gotten beat before. So they said, man, what are we going to do? So they said, all right, let's go ahead and grab the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant is the trump ball. You have the Ark. Nobody can defeat you. Actually, in preparation of the sermon last night, I was watching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you haven't seen the movie, go check it out. And it, basically they say that it's, it's like the Germans are trying to get the Ark because if you have the Ark, then you're going to, you know, you could destroy everybody. So that's what Israel's doing. They're like, okay, if we have the Ark, nobody Nobody is going to be able to touch us. We're just going to destroy everybody in front of us. So then what happens? They go and they bring the ark in. They have this massive shout. The Philistines are like, oh my gosh, God is in the camp of the Israelites. We're going to die. So then they're like, hey, you sissies, get it together. Like fight like men. Let's go ahead. And they just destroy the, uh, the, uh, the Israelites. I think they killed like 30,000 Israelites. Swipe the ark of the covenant and take it back to uh, Philistia. And then they put it in the temple of their God. And it's just like, what? Oh, kill the priests, obviously. So they died. And then Eli dies because he hears his son dies. And then, and then his daughter-in-law dies because she hears that her, her husband and her father-in-law died. And then her son's born. And it's this glory has left Israel. It's just this horrible, horrible thing. I mean, this has never happened in Israel where the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. 30,000 people. I mean, this is just, this is probably the greatest, the lowest point for Israel. Like this, this truly has got to be one of the lowest points for Israel. There's no king in place. They're just random. Now they're conquered by the Philistines and the Philistines have the Ark of Covenant, which is, you know, in the Holy of Holies, sort of the 
presence and dwelling place of God, if you will. And that doesn't, isn't even in their country. It's in some random other temple. I mean, these people just have to feel like we're done. As a people, we are done. So that's where we uh, pick up this story in chapter 6. So we're going to uh, read 1 Samuel chapter 6 through 7 chapter 2. It's a little bit of a long one, but we're going to go through it, and then we'll kind of break it down. So now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines for seven months. Let's put some context in here. Seven months is a long time. I mean, those people, that's, that's more than half a year. So, and the Philistines called for the priests and diviners, saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. Because what's happening is there's this disease that's going through the land, and it's just destroying the people. And obviously, you, you remember from last week, the ark was in the temple of Dagon. Dagon falls down like twice. And so they're like, man, we got we to gotta do something with this. This ark is crazy. The, it, it is tormenting us and our gods, uh, which is what, what it says in the last chapter. And it says, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. And the diviner said, if you send it away, the ark of God to Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed. Uh, uh, Oh, sorry. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, what shall be the guilt offering which we shall return to him? And they said, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines for one plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you shall make the likeness of your tumors and the likeness of your mice ravaging the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had severely dealt with them and did not allow the people to go uh, and they departed? Now, therefore, take and prepare a new cart and two milch cows on which there has never been a yoke and, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them take the ark of the lord and place it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side then send it away that it may go watch if it goes by the way of its own territory to beth shemesh then he has done this great evil but if not then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us it happened to us by chance then the men did so and took the milch cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home They put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the likeness of their tumors. And the cows took straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went, and they did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they raised their eyes and saw the ark and were glad to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite, and stood there uh, and stood there uh, where there was a large stone. And they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took the ark of the Lord and the box that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices that day to the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned for a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Eshkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages. The large stone on which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua, the Beshemite. He struck down some of the men of Beshemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down of the people 50,070 men. 
And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beshemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up, uh, shall he go up from us? They sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirith-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord and have come down. Take it up to you. And the men of Kirith-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained at Kirith-Jerim, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Whew, it's a long one. So what in the world is happening here? Um, so I, I thought it good to just kind of start out with a little bit of uh, some context. So we're just going to look at, I tried to come up with three points. I, you know, so here are my three points for this, for this talk. Let's look at them. Uh, we're just going to look at the situation. We're going to look at how the Philistines and the Israelites respond, and then we're going to see what we can learn from that. If you look, there's A in each one of these, so it does kind of have some cohesiveness. Sorry, they don't start with the letter A or whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> If you know me, I'm really not like, a no, you know, the PowerPoint or the notes and all this kind of stuff. I just kind of wing it. So we're just going to go for it. So um, we're going to look at uh, just kind of where we are in history, right? So we read about the Philistines, and it's like, oh, yeah, the Philistines. That's like, you know, David and Goliath and da-da-da and all this stuff. But, but it's like, let's get some historical context of, like, this is real. Like, this really happened. Uh, you know, and I, I'd encourage you guys, if, if maybe this is your first time at church or maybe— First, maybe you're listening to this and it's your first time hearing something about this and you're like, man, why are we talking about some fairy tales in the Bible or something like that? Like, what I would encourage you is to go to um, go, go and do some research on the historicity of the Bible. And I know uh, Josiah is, you know, uh, uh, has spoken to us about that before, but go do some research on it. What you'll find is that the Bible is the most accurate. Uh, uh, accurate book of antiquity. It's the most historically accurate book that we have in antiquity, period, bar none, like by a thousand times the next book in line. Like just the amount of copies that we have, the accuracy, the consistency, and all that kind of stuff. And so when we're studying and we're reading this stuff, this isn't just like, oh, this is just some random, you know, uh, a story that's in the Bible. I mean, this is history of the world, right? And for us, this was written down for a reason, and it's sort of random, but there's a reason that this was written down. So we kind of want to dig into why is this in the Bible? So um, anyway, the situation, we're just going to kind of go through what's happening. So this is around 1100 BC, right? So we kind of talked about this. this is before the kings. This is after the judges. You'll see like next, next week or the next couple of weeks, they're going to start talking about how they want a king to rule over them. And so Israel's sort of in this like, you know, loose period. Um, now, they do have a king. And his name is God, Yahweh. The problem is, is that the people aren't really coming to him. They're not actually like worshiping God. They're not doing the things that they should. They're kind of all scattered in their different lands. And so, that, you know, I, I think we all, we all kind of, when you have that distance from really seeking after the Lord, like it starts to play out in your life. And so that's where you're at in Israel is that they have just been so discombobulated and not seeking after the Lord. And you've had different judges that have come in and seek the Lord and sort of defeated their enemies in front of them. But we're at this place where they're just really disheveled. And Eli is the last judge, uh, you know, who just passed away, you know, when, when we pick up in this story. So this is 1100 BC. It's the end of the judges. Obviously, Eli was the last judge. Um, the high priest is dead. His sons are dead. And so there's nobody who's really, at this point in time, who's really going to be able to go into the holy of holies, right, uh, and, and, and perform the different rituals that they need to perform at this time. Um, 
So uh, I was doing a little bit of research on the Philistines and who the Philistines are. So we don't really know too much about the Philistines. It's kind of like a random blip in time. And obviously the Lord said he was going to wipe out, you know, different people's names. So he pretty much wiped out the Philistines. Like there's no record of the Philistines. Uh, not much anyway. I mean, the city still exists. Like if you go look on the map, like Ashkelon and uh, Anathoth, all these different cities are actually still there. Um, but the Philistines were on the coast. And what they think from doing some archaeological digs is that the Philistines actually are closer descendants to like Greece and, you know, that part of the, you know, kind of northern Mediterranean uh, uh, Greece area, Athens and that kind of stuff. And so that's where we think the, the Philistines come from. They come over, not, not like the Canaanites and all that kind of stuff, are more probably closely related with, you know, the Edomites or the Arab, you know, toward Mid Middle East or Egypt or something. These guys are coming more from Europe is what we think, just based on the pottery that we have and, and, and the archaeological digging. So it's interesting, actually. Um, I was doing a little bit of research on, you know, kind of like uh, this story and, and you, know, you know, do we have any historical facts of this story? And they think, actually, like back in 2018, they were doing a dig right outside of uh, um, uh, Beth Shemesh, actually, and they think they found the Stone of Joshua, Right. So there's this temple outside of Beth Shemesh, sort of in the field. You can pull that up. And it's and it's this this big, massive rock right in the middle of this, you know, sort of temple complex. And, you know, there's this theory that the archaeologists have that, you know, it's it dates back to like that 1100 B.C. time frame. And it looks like, you know, they built this temple around it, and which would make a lot of sense, because obviously when this chapter was written of Samuel, it says like the and the stone of Joshua's witness to this day, like, you know, that people probably built something around this. So anyway, just kind of like interesting that that that's something that it looks like we found outside of Beth Shemesh, uh, which is just to the west of Israel. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to kind of talk about is like this. There was this plague, right, that was plaguing the Philistines. And I know uh, Nate didn't really uh, touch on this too much, but um, just kind of looking at the tumors and the mice, you're like, why, why would they put tumors in mice? It's kind of strange. This is really odd. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, when, when, you, when you look at it and, and look at, you know, kind of what are the symptoms and stuff, it looks like the bubonic plague. Like, if you look at the bubonic plague, and you can pull up, I, I just had some, somebody was asking, are we talking about the bubonic plague? Yes, we're talking about the bubonic plague. So here's just some, some different things that the bubonic, that, 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 that uh, you know, are symptoms, well, facts of the bubonic plague. It's, it's this bacteria that's on pests, that normally was on rodents. And then you had, you know, it infected people, and basically, you know, there, here's the incubation period. I was going to pull up pictures, but I thought it would just totally gross everyone out. It was disgusting. So um, it's not funny. These people died. <laughs> you guys are horrible. So, so uh, anyway, it, it talks about there's two different types. You know, you have the bubonic and, and pneumonic. I don't even know what that stuff means, so somebody's going to have to explain that. But the, the, one of the characteristics was these swollen lymph nodes, right? So you had, like, these, these, these tumor-like swollen lymph nodes under your neck, under your armpits, and around your groin. And you can look at pictures, it's disgusting. But they're these, it looks like just like an egg, just like sitting, right? I mean, it's, it just looks horrible. And, it's, and what they didn't realize at the time, it, uh, you know, well, I guess the Philistines realized that it was mice that was passing it. But, you know, obviously the bubonic plague, if you research like the most deadly pandemics to ever come on earth, bubonic plague is the top three, right? So there's like three different times where the bubonic plague just wiped out, you know, tons of people. And, like, the worst was, like, back in, like, I, I want to say it was, like, the 1300s or 1200 A.D. And it, it, it was, like, 60% of Europe died 
from the bubonic plague. I mean, it was just like, and you can see here, the plague uh, can vary as far as disease with a case fertility ratio of 30 to 60%. I mean, it was just absolutely devastating, right? Like when we look at COVID numbers, obviously we have doctors and stuff like that, but we're looking at like a, what, 0.1% fatality? I mean, this is 60%. So that means more people are dying than are living from this thing. And it's absolutely horrible. And so that, I mean, based on the tumors and the mites and all that kind of stuff, it seems like that's the kind of plague that's just like ripping through the Philistine. It could have been something else, but just absolutely devastating um, Philistia, right? And, and, and I, they don't have a death count obviously in here, but I would imagine that it is just horrendous like and people are dying and it's just horrible and it's been seven months so i mean i don't i don't know what the numbers are but it's just interesting that uh you know the Philist the israelites weren't even fighting the philistines and the lord is just whooping them you know just destroying the philistines and 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 the israelites are you know hiding away somewhere it just shows like i think sometimes we get so caught up on like you know lord you got to give me strength to israel god can do it you know he can do what he wants to do if you're there or not you know, we just get the, it's just a privilege to be part of the process. You know what I mean? So anyway, just to talk about that a little bit, give a little bit of context of, you know, I, I think the, the Philistines were just dying here in, in literal sense and, you know, in a figurative sense, they just were like, we got to get rid of this thing. I don't know what's happening. Um, so that's kind of just sort of a little bit of some context historically. And then um, you want to just pull up that map one more time. Um, because sometimes it helps to kind of get like, w what's all happening? So they take the Ark from Shiloh, and then they have this big fight. That was last week's chapter in Ebenezer, and then that's when the Ark comes to Ashdod, and then the Ashdod, is, that's when Dagon falls down a bunch, and they're like, man, send it to the next village, like, or city, we can't deal with this, this is, this is horrible. It goes to the next city, it's ravaging the people. They're like, send it to the next city, it goes to Ekron. And so they're just city to city saying, get this thing out of here. And then finally they come up with this really interesting, elaborate plan to get rid of the ark. What I found interesting is that the Philistines didn't destroy the ark, right? You would have thought that, like, I don't know, maybe someone's like, oh, burn it or something like that. But I would imagine that the people at the time are like, somebody said, well, let's burn it. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, you destroy this thing and we're all dead. You know, it's just sitting there and it's killing us. So um, they come up with this idea, we got to get this back to the Israelites, which is interesting because they acknowledge that God is um, they acknowledge that God is, is, is like this, this God is just destroying them. Like at some point there's this acknowledgement of like, okay, this God is stronger than our gods. He's tormenting our gods. He's tormenting us. But uh, you know, and we'll dig in this a little bit further. They don't really change. Like they, they, they kind of acknowledge that, but there's no real change. Right. So, and, and I think that happens with a lot of people today. So there's this acknowledgement that, okay, God is superior and he's destroying us, and he's absolutely, you know, killing us, but, but, but there was no change. So they come up with this plan to send the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant back, and, you know, just to kind of, like, break it down, it's mil they take these two milch cows, which is, like, cows that have calves, and so the calves are, you know, um, still nursing, and so the cows need to nurse the calves in order to, you know, or, or else their udders are going to, like, really hurt and all this kind of stuff. Sorry, it's kind of, you know, TMI. But that's kind of what's happening. And so the idea is the cows want to be with their calves. And so when they hook them up to this cart, the idea is that they're going to go back to where the calves are. But instead, they, they run 11 miles towards Beth Shemesh. 
straight in the direction where you know, the, the, you know, they're, they're thought, they set up this kind of plan to okay, if they go to Beshemesh, then this is it, and that was the only place that they were saying if it goes to Beshemesh, then then this is God, and you know, this isn't just by chance, and and the cows do exactly you know against what nature would say they should do, and they went straight towards Beshemesh, which is a really interesting sort of plan that happens, um, and obviously the Philistines just realize, wow, this is okay, this is God. Um, go straight to, um, you know, Joshua's, uh, uh, the stone of Joshua, and um, then the Israelites come, and they're really happy, and they break down the stone. Now, Beth Shemesh uh, is a, um, it's actually a Levitical town. It's actually like a priestly city. It's, it's uh, if, if you look back in, in Joshua and Judges, it's set as a, one of the towns that's set aside for the uh, Levites. Uh, so the priests actually, like, they live in this town. So that's why it says, and then the Levites come, and they take the ark, and they put it on the stone. This is a, Le- a Levitical town, so just sort of a side note. Um, but let's look at, uh, you know, sort of this whole situation. Well, then, so then they, they, they sacrifice the cows, and then, you know, obviously they look into, you know, some people look into the ark of the covenant, and then it says 50,070 people, the Israelites die, which is just sort of like a random side note that, like, bas- I mean, 50,000 people is incredible. Um, so scholars kind of debate, is it 50,000 or is it 70? I was like, that's like a really big disparity, like 50,000 or 70. But the way that it's written, it kind of looks like it could be 70 because 50,000 just seems like too many. Like you don't think there's 50,000 people living in Beshemesh. But I, I, regardless, like there's people who look into the ark and just and just get destroyed. But it's just so interesting because you have the Philistines didn't look into the ark, right? The Israelites did. And they know what, you know, like the significance of the ark. And the Philistines look, don't look into the ark, at least not that we see, and, and, and the Israelites do. So I just think it's like interesting point. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so anyway, then they send it to, uh, you know, then they're freaked out and they send it to uh, Kirith Jerem and then it stays there for 20 years. And then obviously, you know, the story, David goes and picks the ark up from Kirjirim to bring it up to, um, you know, the city of David. They were going to put it in the city of David, and it's on a cart again, and then it, you know, it stumbles, and it's about to fall, and there's this guy, Uzzah, and he goes to reach out to grab the ark so that it doesn't fall, and then he dies. It's just so interesting. There's just so much death surrounding the Ark of the Covenant, and I think the reason why, and the thing that I want to kind of point out here is that overarching is I don't think that people had a reverence and a true fear of God. And that's what was happening is you had this sort of like, you know, oh, we can just do what we want with the presence of God. And we could just, he's, he is like our, our genie to come along and he's gonna destroy our enemies before us. And yeah, they told us like, we're supposed to be like really careful with this and not look inside. Like that's written in Leviticus, but ah, we're just gonna do it anyway. And just make sure everything's still there. You know what I mean? And then they get destroyed. So it's, it's, it's just this interesting sort of thing. And, um, I just, I guess I want to, uh, kind of the theme I want to go towards here is that I think that just like these guys have sort of forgotten sort of the reverence and the fear of God, I think that we have in our, in, in, you know, today. I, I, I know for me, sometimes I do. When I sit down and pray, it's like, okay, Lord, thank you so much for today. It's like, do I know who I'm talking to? Like, I wouldn't be yawning if I knew and was looking at the Lord in front of me and just his, and, and I know that he is, is a loving father, and he can come alongside of us. But something I wanted to highlight is just, like, this awesomeness of God. That you look into the ark, and then, boom, like 70 or 50,000, whichever one you want, die, right? I mean, it's just this, this incredible 
awesome God that we serve, that it's not just, you know, this is not just some text, like this God is alive today and he's with us and he's among us, you know what I mean? And we're supposed to be his people. And there's this, we're looking back and we're looking at these people saying, wow, how foolish can you be? Yet how many times do we kind of walk around with, not, and I, you know, I don't necessarily mean like reverence, like, oh, like very stiff or something, but just like an awe of God, that like God loves us, that he cares about us, that he is the creator of the universe and he wants to know us. Like there's this, there's this side that's just like, just to be in awe of who God is. So let's just look here real quickly at like, how did the Philistines respond? I mean, it's interesting. So they didn't destroy the ark. They didn't look into the ark. They're getting just destroyed by all of these plagues, and their thought is like, all right, let's just send it back, right? And then they, 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 they're like, well, how are we going to do that? Well, don't send it empty. You got to send some gifts. So then they create these golden tumors and these golden mice to send back uh, with, with the ark. Um, so they do that and um, put it in a box, and they send it back. And uh, so there, there's some reverence from the Philistines that they acknowledge, like, wow, this is like some powerful deity, so we, we want to placate to this deity. And so they, like, in essence, they, like, glorify this horrible plague, but there's no change, right? There's no acknowledging, like, wow, maybe we should change what we're doing. There's none of that. It's just, okay, let's just get this away from us so that we can go back to our normal lives, Right? And, and I think that happens with a lot of people today when there's an uncomfortable situation. It's like, God, what can I do to placate you so that I can get back to my normal life, you know? And you see that with so many different people. Like, they might be, like, you know, it's like, uh, and this is a bad example, but, like, say they're on, like, a, you know, you hear about these different um, uh, captains of boats and stuff, and they're on, like, a rough seas. They're praying, man. Like, if it's, like, if they feel like that boat's going to topple, I mean, you got a lot of different believers in really tough situations. And then once the situation clears up, it's like, okay, all right, good, I can go back to normal life. It's like, that might have been the reason you were in that situation, to just highlight what's happening. And that, and that happens to the Philistines, right? And there's no acknowledgement of, like, wow, yeah, we should probably, like, turn from what we're doing because this God just destroyed our number one deity, Dagon, right? And it's just, ah, We'll be fine. Just get that away. Let's go back to serving our gods. And it's just like, they're, they're, there's this idea of they're like sort of wanting to get past the situation so they can go back to, you know, doing what they normally did. So that's where you see the Philistines. And the Israelites, it's sort of a similar situation, right? And so the ark comes to the Israelites, and there's this, they're super happy. They sacrificed the cows, which they weren't really actually supposed to because these were female cows. You're supposed to do bulls. And so they sacrificed the cows right there on Joshua's stone. And there's this sort of like religious steps, like they did all sort of the religious right things to do. And then there's this irreverence of just opening up the ark, right? And, and, and maybe, maybe it probably was they wanted to make sure everything was still there. Like maybe that's what the thought process was. But you'll see... With Uzzah, you know, in a, in a, in a few chapters, you know, when, when David's bringing the, uh, the ark to, to the city of David, God doesn't care that you're doing what seems like, like if you're breaking the commandment of the Lord, like there's a consequence for that. And I think that like it just shows, I think the reason why God just like zapped 70 or 50,000 people, whichever one you want, is because, is because he's saying like, guys, this is serious. Like, it, it, is a, it is an awful thing to fall into the hands of a, you know, in, in the hands of Almighty God. Like, like, this is a serious thing, right? And so, 
just, I, you know, I think just kind of breaking down this whole story and looking at it was, it, it's, it's an interesting sort of period of time. But I, I think the thing that I want to take a, you know, just a few minutes on here is just to look at kind of the irreverence, right, of the Philistines, but more importantly, of the Israelites. And I think tying that into our day today, just w one of the things that I think we can learn from looking at this story is like not to treat God lightly, right? I think that today, New Testament time, where God has just promised that he's not going to destroy us like he did back then, there's this taking that for granted, right? That we take God for granted. We take the Holy Spirit for granted. We take his presence for granted. We take coming to church as like, this is our religious thing that we do to placate God because I feel good about myself, but I don't know God, you know? Like, I don't talk with him on a daily basis. I don't actually, like, seek after him. And it's like, do we understand, like, what we are walking in in today, in 2022, in the church? Like, there's this side to where this was the Old Testament, you know? And there was this where God would kind of show up, like, he would, you know, put his spirit on Samuel. Samuel would speak. And there was this sort of, like, he'd come in and, like, put his hand on different people, and they would speak the Word of the Lord would come to certain people and they would speak. But it's like in 2022, like, you know, almost 2,000 years after Jesus, you know, died and rose again, he has like filled us with his church with his spirit. So really quickly, just what is the Ark of the Covenant? And we could pull up that picture of the Ark, right? So uh, the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, I don't know if you guys got that. Yeah, here we go. Um, this looks like the one from uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's this box that's like, I don't know what the dimensions, I was like two feet, you know, this way, and then one and a half feet, you know, deep, and then whatever, two feet, uh, you know, in depth inside. And it carried the Ten Commandments, right? And it carried, uh, you'll also read in Hebrews that it carries Aaron's butted staff, and then it also carries like a, a little jar of manna, right? And this is the Ark of the Covenant. This is the articles right, that are inside here are sort of like God saying, like, this is my covenant with Israel, right? So the Ten Commandments were, as you keep these, like, I have a covenant with you to, like, I will be your God, you will be my people. And then there's this side where it's like you have the, uh, the butted staff was when they were all complaining that Aaron and Moses were over the top of them. They're like, ah, oh, these guys are, you know, you guys are just trying to, like, you know, be over the top of us and all this stuff. And then God starts killing all the people in the camp. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. all right, everybody, all the heads of you know, Israel, bring your staff, put it down inside the Holy of Holies, and I will tell you which one I choose as, you know, the, the priest, basically. And Aaron's staff the next day has, has these, like, you know, leaves and fruit, and there's literally almonds, like, on the, uh, 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 on, on the dead staff, right? And so it's this, like, really, so they put that into the ark, uh, and then they had, obviously, the manna when the people were complaining and God brought them food. So, and then... If you read in Leviticus and it talks about the ark specifically, it says like, and I will come, you put the ark into the holy of holies, which, you know, in the, in the, with the tabernacle and with the temple, there was an outer court, there was the inner court, and then there was this inner, inner court that the priest went into once a year on the day of atonement, and he would not go in without blood. He would go in with blood. They would tie a rope onto the priest's leg so if he was struck dead, you know, they could drag him out. And they wouldn't have to go in. And basically, he would go in before the Holy of Holies, and he would basically make atonement for the people's sins, right? And it said, and, and God told Moses, hey, make the ark, and I will come and meet with you 
right here between the cherubim on the mercy seat, which is the cover for the ark, right? And so there's this idea that like the ark symbolized the meeting place or like the dwelling place of God, right? I mean, this was like incredibly, incredibly significant, okay? And so um, I think the main thing to highlight here, or uh, let's just look at, uh, I wanted to look at um, Hebrews real quick because I think it sort of says it the best way. Well, I know we're running close on time. Let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 2, right? So this is Peter, and he is, had just preached, obviously, in Pentecost. And, you know, there's all these people that are there, and they say, and they said, after, after Peter sort of taught, they said, you know, and they thought that the disciples were drunk. They said, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call to himself. And then obviously you guys are familiar. There's another passage in Hebrews where it talks about like your, or I think it's in Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And, it, and this is in talking about like just immorality and that kind of stuff. But like if you read the New Testament, what you find is that before God was in this tent of meeting and the whole point of Jesus dying and raising again is so that he could tear, right? There was the, the there was the, in the temple when Jesus died, it said that the, the curtain was torn in two and there was this sort of opening. So now that like where only the priest could enter, it's like God made it so that he would dwell with all of us, right? In our heart, there was this God dwelling man and there was this Holy Spirit coming inside of us. And now instead of there being this one Ark of the Covenant, it's that the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of the people who are called after him, right? So in John chapter one, it talks about like, and you who are born not by flesh nor by blood, but by the spirit of God, right? And it's those who are born of the spirit um, it's like the wind, like it's sort of this past, like, like, you know, was, how, how do you know you're born in the spirit? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Like you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God and there's the spirit who dwells inside of us. Okay. And so I just think it's crazy to me that like God had changed this whole system from it being like, okay, we're, you know, we're in the temple and there's this distance and the priest has to go in for other people to where when Jesus comes, he makes it so that we can now have the presence of God within us. And now, instead of there being one ark, there's this idea of like, all of us are the ark of the covenant, if you will, the dwelling place of God, the place where God chooses his presence to come, where he will meet with you in your heart, right? Like where he wants to come and meet with us, like you alone by yourself. Like this is the whole climax of the scriptures. Like there's even a place in first Peter where it talks about, and just to read it, um, you know, that I think is really significant here, uh, where it talks about, uh, just kind of the context of what's, what, what we're living in. Um, because I think sometimes way too often it's like, oh yeah, we go to church and, you know, it'd be way cooler to be with the disciples. It'd be way cooler to be with you know, back in the Israelite days, it would be cool to eat manna. You know what I mean? It would be really cool. I'd like that. It's like, dude, you don't, do we realize like what we're living in? You know, so here, just, just 
and I think Peter just lays it out here. He says, um, let's see. So starting in... Let's see. So let's let's go in. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, I got it here somewhere. If you know where I'm going, you can just shout it out. I'm just kidding. Um, it's this idea of just the the angels want to look into what's happening in mankind right now. So here we go. Verse 5, so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, which will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the result and praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And through, uh, and through you uh, have not seen, sorry, Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation... Who prophesied of the grace, uh, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which, which now have been announced to you. Uh, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were your, uh, in your ignorance. But like the Holy One has called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is something that angels are longing to look into, like what we're living in today, which is God is one with those who are called according to his name. And all it is is just Jesus, like I believe you and I want to know you and I want to seek after you. Like this is, we are now supposed to be the dwelling place of God that goes out into the world. And so I just thought it was really interesting because obviously, um, you know, I go every day, I have to go into work and you're in the workplace and people are not believers and people, you know, are saying all sorts of horrible stuff. There's ton, tons of different scenarios that we all find our, ourselves in. And I'm just like really encouraged and challenged. Like we're not supposed to just be there like, oh man, I don't really wanna say like this or that or whatever, but it's like, we're supposed to go and I, I'm not necessarily saying you got to go in and smack people in the face and tell them, you know, what the Bible's saying. That's not, I, I actually think that in some ways that's more detrimental, you know, because you're not actually loving. You're just trying to tell somebody, you know, what they need to hear. But going out with the presence of God and just being filled with his presence and knowing who we are, right, before the Lord and where our identity sits and just standing in the truth and then going out into uh, in, in the workplace and just letting that presence, just let God just be God, right? 
the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant and they were just getting destroyed. Why? Because the presence of God was there and he was, just, he was just doing it. And just let God do what God would do. And if he puts it on your heart to say something, say something. If he puts it on your heart to pray for somebody, pray for him. You know, it's not like a ton of pressure, but go out just like knowing that the Lord is with us, right, when we go out. So, um, I, I, and, and, I, and I just think just the final thing here to just sort of touch on, because I think I'm out of time, right? Yeah, he's like, eh, another hour. No, just kidding. Um, no, so just the, the, the final thing to touch on is just, just, just this reverence that the Israelites I don't think had. That, uh, that, that so many times throughout scriptures you just see like, and you look back and you're like, man, like, come on, we would have done so differently. But we wouldn't. You know why? Because we don't. We don't do differently today. Like we live in a day when the presence of God is among us, right? So when we're worshiping here and like we're all together in this, it's like we're not just here singing a song so that we can sing a song. And, and I think Josiah said this, and I love this idea of just we are joining in with the eternal worship service of heaven. We're just catching up to what heaven is already in, right? And it's just this beautiful, amazing God that we serve that we just can't get enough of, right? And if you're sitting here, maybe you're like, man, I, I like don't really think about God like that. You know, God is just sort of this abstract other sort of, we come here and I read my Bible and I learn intellectual thoughts and I under, it's like, God, is, God wants so much more for us than um, a religion. He wants so much more for us than a happy life. He wants so much more for us than just things to go the way we want them to go. Like God is much more concerned with knowing us, right? And us knowing him. It was the purpose in the beginning. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, or Two, I guess, when he creates man and he breathes and he forms him out of the dust and he's nothing. And then he breathes his spirit into man. There's this life that happens. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us life. And then obviously when he eats the fruit, it's like, this is what I see is like the Holy Spirit left. And Jesus's whole point is bringing oneness back, right? That's why Jesus had to die so that we could be one if you don't believe me, read John chapter 17. It's what Jesus's mission was to bring oneness back so that we could be one with God, right? So um, I just want to read through uh, one sort of passage here. Um, and this is something that I feel like for me, uh, you know, just when I take some time to worship or when I sit down to just pray or read my Bible, this is something that this is an image that I like to keep like in the forefront of my mind. And it's in Revelation chapter 4. If you want to turn there, you can go read it. Maybe you read it later today when you're alone or something like that. Um, but it's John has this vision. And obviously, it's like he's transported to heaven, right? And he's standing before the throne room of God. And that's where we pick up here. And it says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 elders, and upon the thrones I saw, uh, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in garments, and golden crowns on their head. 
Out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, full of eyes around and within, day and night, do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory, honor, power, for you created all things. And because of you, they exist and were created. It's just this, 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 this is who God is, right? Like there's, there's a side to God where he comes in in your brokenness and he just like loves you. But I think we can't forget who God is, right? So that we don't take for granted, like he is the almighty. He is the God above all gods. He's the Lord above all lords. I don't know if there's somebody in your life that really intimidates you. For me, like sometimes when I like, you know, when I'm talking to like the owner of our company, right? He's done incredibly well and he's just absolutely destroyed. There's this sort of like intimidation where it's like, you're like, and he's a great guy, super generous, all that kind of stuff, really loving. And it, it, but there's like this sort of like this, okay, like I need to make sure that I'm not like wasting his time or I'm not, you know, and, and just come and, and, and when you talk, there's sort of like a reverence or like a, not reverence, that sounds kind of weird, but like a respect, you know, and like a real respect and sort of like trying to, like God, when, when we come to God, it's like, he's the creator. He's from, from the beginning to the end, like he knows it all. He created, he breathed the world into existence. And this is the one who we serve, the one who's sitting on his throne. And when we're worshiping, like this is who we're coming before, the throne room of God with these peals of lightning, cracks of thunder, with all these crazy you know, sort of angelic beings with these 24 different elders who we're not sure who the 24 elders are, but my guess is these guys are just legends in the faith. And these guys are just sitting on their thrones. And it said continuously day and night, the ain't, the, these, these creatures don't stop saying, holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. And just saying this, and it says continuously they say that, and therefore continuously the elders are casting down their thrones, their, their um, crowns before this king, right? And these guys are, I mean, they're see God for who he is. And so I just, one of the things I just want to encourage and just maybe draw out of this text is sort of like, let's not take it for granted. Like just who God is, right? And so when you pray, it's not just we're praying to thin air. I think like maybe one thing that really helps me is to just like, just remember who it is that we're speaking to, right? And so if you got to like take a few minutes to just, I don't know, for me, sometimes I just read this passage or I read in Isaiah chapter six when Isaiah sees God and he just falls flat on his face, right? Or, you know, just any of these different times where it really just shows like we serve an almighty God, a terrible God in a lot of ways, right? That just wreaked havoc on the Philistines just by his presence being among them, you know? And it's like, we serve a God that shouldn't be taken lightly. He chooses to love us, but we shouldn't forget 
like just the awesomeness of who God is and the God that we do serve. So I just want to encourage, just to challenge each of us, like when you come on Sunday or when you're reading your Bible or something like that, like not to take for granted like what we have, that we have access via the Holy Spirit to the presence and the throne room of God, right? And it's not something that should be taken lightly. It's something that the prophets wished that they could see. It's something that angels wished that they could be a part of, right? They long to look into these different things. And the rest of us, it's, uh, it's Monday, you know? But it's like, we have something incredibly unique as the people of God, that God would dwell among us, right? And each of us now bear the Holy Spirit into the workplace, right? You bear the Holy Spirit into your family. You bear the Holy Spirit in your day, whatever you're doing, right? And then you say, ah, well, I don't really feel anything, you know? Well, it doesn't matter, you know? It doesn't matter what you feel. I'm sure the guy who was cracking the Ark of the Covenant open, right? And he's like, starts to like, he's like, hey guys, let's just look in here. He probably was like, well, it doesn't seem crazy. You know, it doesn't seem really bad. Like he didn't, you know, but it's the truth. It's the truth. The holiness and the almightiness of God is a fact that will stand through all time, right? That he is who he says he is. And he is, and he's with us and he's, and he's among us. And so just want to pray over you guys right now. That's, that's all I got. It was a little bit meandering here and we kind of went through a bunch of random different scriptures and you guys had to hear me talk for like 45 minutes, but I'm just going to pray over us right now and just, just that we would remember this. So I don't know if the worship team comes up at this point, but Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the universe, the one who created everything, and you want to dwell among us, Lord. And I just thank you so much for your righteousness and your holiness. We just acknowledge you, Lord. And I pray over each person here, Lord, that if there's something that you want to touch on, Lord, if there's, if you want to just open uh, their eyes or just see who you are, Lord, I just pray you would open all of our eyes afresh to just see you as almighty, just as the king of the universe, the one who created the world, the one who just spoke and mountains were created, the stars in the heaven were created, the sun was created. Just this incredible, amazing God. And we love you, Lord. And we are here for you. And we just acknowledge you, Lord. You have your way inside of us, Father. Thank you that you are our dad. And we love you so much, Lord. Thank you so much. I just pray, Jesus, that you would just have your way inside of us, Lord. That your, your maybe your fear, Lord, and your terror would come upon us, Lord. Maybe that's something that needs to happen, that we would see how awesome you are, that it's not a joke, that we don't, we're, we're, we're Christians, not because it's the right thing to do. We're Christians because it's the only way to life. We're Christians because it's the only way to eternal, if not, we're, we're done, we're dead, we're dead men walking without your spirit, Lord. We can't do good without your spirit. Apart from you, we're nothing. And in you, all things are possible. Father, you have your way. And I just thank you for this group of people here that is at the exchange. And I just pray over them, Lord, that there would be a unifying and oneness in your spirit, Lord, that we would be one as you and the Father are one, that we would be one with you, Lord, that all of us would be one together 
by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just thank you so much, Lord. You just have your way. Bless you, and we just honor you. And thank you for this week. Thank you for what's gonna come, what's gonna happen. I just pray in advance for each one of these, Lord. And you know, we don't pray for an easy week. We don't pray for all of it to be good. Lord, we pray for your will to be done, Jesus. You have your way in us, Father. We are not looking for just happiness and comfort. Lord, we're looking for you, and we want to serve you, Lord. And we want to know you. You have made yourself known to mankind, and we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it, Father. Bless you. Thank you, Jesus. We're just here to worship you, Lord, right now. Just whatever you got to do. I, I don't know if there's anybody in here who may, maybe wants some prayer for something. Um, you come on up. We'll have some people up here probably be happy to pray for you. If there's something that's going on and just have some people next to you. Maybe there's nobody that you can talk to. Um, if you want, we're going to have some people that will be up here just to talk to, right? And don't feel like it's embarrassing. We all need to come up. This is not for non-believers. This is for believers. We're a family. So we love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. It's an honor to just be here. Love you guys.